Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 258 of Cyclocross Radio. On today's episode, or Megaspode, we're talking about the Cyclocross World Championships, and we talk about it for a long time. So we're going to get right into that after these two quick points I have to make in this intro. The first point is that I'd love for you to check out the other shows on the Wide Angle Podium. For instance, Criterium Nation host Rob Kelly is on the Grodio show. We just released that episode talking about that one time at Gravel Camp. He was uh, down at the Source Endurance Belgian Waffle Ride Gravel Camp and is talking with Amanda about all of that. It's a great conversation. Also, the Slow Ride guys, uh, if, if you listen to all of our talk about worlds and then you want kind of the alternate version of that, you can go listen to the Slow Ride. They have their latest episode covering Cyclocross Worlds up now. This episode is brought to you by Wide Angle Podium sponsor, Hammerhead. Hammerhead, they're back with the Carew 2, which has raised the bar for cycling computers. We want to, you to get on this. I, I'm a guy, I, I, I live in DC, ride a lot in the city. The map feature on the Carew 2 is one of the best I've seen. I, I, it's been helping me a ton when I'm out there. It's got, the, the GPS on there is just like spot on. And if, if you're kind of an urban rider like myself, it's easy to see, it's easy to know where you're at. And then as a bonus, you also have a beautiful responsive touchscreen display. You got the climber function. You can have all of your apps loaded in there like Strava and whatever else. And here's the best part. For a limited time, our listeners can get a free custom color kit and an exclusive premium water bottle with the purchase of a Hammerhead Carew 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now. We'll wait. You can pause this. Go to hammerhead.io. Use the promo code CXRADIO. All one word. C-X-R-A-D-I-O. CXRADIO. At checkout, and you will get yours today. That's a free custom color kit and premium water bottle with the purchase of a Carew 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add all three items to your cart, and use promo code CXRADIO. All right. We got Michael and Zach. We're talking about Cyclocross World Championships that took place last weekend in Fayetteville, Arkansas. It's episode 258 of Cyclocross Radio, and we're doing all that right now we are back home and back in the pit from the cyclocross world championships lots to talk about from our weekend in Fayetteville Arkansas but before we get to any of that Michael how's it going Bill, happy to be backstead in the media pit. Um, you know, I spent all day at the uh, Walmart returns department returning to Cyclocross World Championships. I figured we're not going to have another one here in the States for 10 years. I mean, it was great. We loved it. But, you know, open box policy. Took it back. Zach, how you doing? 
Good. So I was, I didn't know how this was going to go. And I was, I was on Twitter today and I found this, uh, this thing that some PhD student did to, to generate a narrative using AI. And so I was, I was kind of tweaking with it. And first I tried, well, you know, our thing is basketball and cyclocross. And that was, and I was like, ah, we'll just put cyclocross in Arkansas. So here's the, here's the story. And I think this is more applicable to October, but in the fall, the cyclocross season in Arkansas heats up as riders from all over come to compete in the challenging races. The courses are often technical and hilly, and the weather can be hot and humid. I, you know, I that mostly gets it. That mostly gets it. I mean, I think that it was a little bit cool, but on Sunday, you know, we had... Uh, we had some of the we had the Dutch national team borderline like going sleeveless, you know, cutting the sleeves off of their skin suits. So, uh, you know, I like it. I like it. You know, the AI generated story. That's what that's what I, it's I all haven't about. watched the broadcast close enough, but I know that we had a couple crashes throughout the days. And if if the color commentary did not chime in with a cleanup on aisle four for the Walmart World Championships. It was it was one of the biggest missed opportunities in 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 broadcast history. Well, we had the big one. We had Haverdings, I think was probably the biggest right. crash of the day in the junior race. Um, you know, so yeah, that would be like the golden If the we golden had any sway in it, uh, it was it was me just singing the kids praises on uh, as the best bike handler out there. And then he's. Where did he get taken out? It was on the descent. It was on maybe the second corner of the descent. He just like he ate it, and then it stacked up because uh, Aaron Dox, the Belgian, got off the front, and I think it actually kind of hosed Jack Spranger among others, uh, the American who was stuck there, and AJ August, who ended up having a really good race and finishing fifth. I think he missed that. He was far enough back actually, but you know Jack Spranger was like in the mix. The Americans raced really well in that race, but yeah, the, he got just stacked up behind him, and Haverdings went way back. Uh, he did one of those. He crashed. He just kind of slowly got up and uh, eventually worked his way back. Kind of with the other comeback kid, uh, uh, Ian Ackert. He ate it because I have a photo of him. His his leg is all bloody. Uh, and he, you know, Bill, you were following him. That was really one of the, the good stories of the day was from DFL all the way to eighth place. That was, I think, the, the case of that early race. It was it was pretty slimy back in the back in the woods still early on. Was it that was it that corner where there was a rock in the rut? Is that do you know? It may have been because it was definitely a rut. I watched it yesterday. It was definitely kind of one like a steeper corner with that would have been the the rock was in the second turn after the stone flyover. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and then now I I was down there at the the rainy like, the rainy wor- park World Cup corner, at least when I was there. Oh, okay. He was there then too. I think he. I think uh, uh, Keith got all all over the course. That was I went down there at that point that corner, and that rut the rock that was in the rut was grabbing the wheels so bad that you could hear it go pop. Every time the riders went by, and I was like, oh, my God, is it a flat? And these guys were like, no, this has been happening all day. Um, and then I was like, great, I'm going to get a photo of this. And the next, like, three riders went by, missed the rut, and I was like, well, I got to leave now. And I was like, <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> uh, so to kind of, like, talk about this race, I, I, was, I said this in the green room, and I'll preface it this way. I think, you know, coming into this event – 
I don't know. You know, Nationals was a high uh, for me. I thought Nationals was great. It was in my hometown. I, I really enjoyed Nationals. And I was in a rut. Like, you know, we had world championships coming to America. But with Omicron happening, it was kind of like, you know, we saw a lot of our bulletin readers were canceling their trips. I'm like, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be a disaster. Like, no one's going to come. Like, why are we even going? Uh, but, you know, Hitched up, hitched up the wagon, uh, my buddy in his truck, met him in Iowa, and went down there. And I'll just say that uh, I've never had a bigger difference between my expectations for an event and how the event went in a positive way. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, and it's, it's kind of funny because it's uh, just going back through, like, all of the photos that we took, and I think everybody got some awesome output from what they they were shooting but also it was like as far as the drama goes of what you know one the crowds were awesome which was really nice but then it wasn't like what it was in the fall which was you know just insanely messy and and like really dramatic i mean this was less dramatic as as far as the racing goes but on the flip side of that Man, did I love running around in short a uh, short sleeve shirt on on Saturday <laughs> and Sunday. You know, the the only reason I wasn't wearing shorts was because they that there were the, all those little uh, stickly thorn things when you were running through the uh, running through the woods. But could not have asked for better kind of spectating conditions. You just wanted to hang out in that that park all day long. So they, I know there was some complaints about if it wasn't quote real cyclocross weather or if that made the the track too easy but being there in person that just was like a plus weather bring that bring that every weekend and i'm i'm there and the crowds were incredible i mean i you know clearly i think that you know uh we in the bulletin today we posted an interview with curtis and he was like you know if you if you listen to what people were saying online no one was going and clearly you know to me, that says I, I saw a lot of friends. You know, I saw a friend of the pod, Jesse, give him a shout out uh, coming up from Minnesota. I saw a ton of people from Minnesota and Wisconsin down there. Uh, Nick, my buddy from uh, Wisconsin, ran into him. Uh, you know, so the people came. Like, I think there were like the traditional stuff. This means that there were a lot of people who don't necessarily do cyclocross who were exposed to cyclocross uh, at this event. And to me, that's really neat. And there is, I mean, there were everywhere. I mean, th- like, Almost everywhere on the course, there were people where there was a group of 10 to 20, even on the far side of the course. I mean, I was looking at a photo. You had people like eight rows deep at that hill. Like, I mean, you know, to say that we can't bring fans or that it's not European cyclocross, the crowd sure as hell were, were European. Like, it was incredible. Yeah, like, and absolutely actual incredible. Europeans too, right? I mean, this was a fairly international crowd as well. So people came out. Obviously, it's like it's a, it's a tough time, as you said right now, Zach. But yeah, it was... It was phenomenal. I um, I I hadn't seen anything like that before at the World Cups, and uh, I was like you, Zach, also kind of a little bit wary. Um, you know, we try to take as many precautions as we could, and I understand people who who don't want to take that risk. You know, I don't blame you, but I am I am glad that I made it, and I'm glad I got to experience this and 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 see that and and also like speaking of the people who were sort of like getting exposed to cyclocross this level for the first time i got these messages from my friends who was their first time going to these races and they were like what is it what's the schedule next year we want to go so i mean like i think if you look at these events 
as ways to spread the gospel or, or to, to build the fan base. I, I, anecdotally, I see evidence of that. Yeah. And that's not, that's all of this is to say. And I think that, you know, on this show, I want, I think we all want this to be a place where we can appreciate what we saw and, and that we had a really nice time, you know, from the house that we all shared together to just the, the, the racing as well. We're not discounting people who made the decision not to go because a we're in a freaking pandemic and completely understand that. And then B just the, the political state of Arkansas. We, a hundred percent appreciate that and respect that decision. And also, you know, I think, I don't, I think I can speak for the three of us come down on this, on the side of the, the, the laws, the anti-transgender laws and everything else that's going on. We in no way uh, endorse it or can, and, 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 and it just, and, and they're against all of it, but it's something that unfortunately is happening in, in many States. And it was, Something that after talking to a lot of people, we felt we we could still go and do what we needed to do. And that was a cover the event for the bulletin B uh, have, you know, covered, cover it for, for the, the, the clients. I mean, it was a, it was a work trip first and foremost uh, for, for most of us that, that went and stayed in our little CXR's media house. Um, but again, that's, that's not to say that we don't appreciate the the struggle that still still is happening in that state and i guess you know i think the three of us as as white males uh aren't necessarily in the position to talk to it but i think that there were signs that that the outcry the activism has made a difference because even um the the organization that hosted it it's like experience nwa or their their tourism board you know they were all you know passing out the ride armbands very supportive um the president of their organization on the stage at the podiums was wearing one um so it, it was you know definitely a part of the organization and the folks that w- wanted to bring this event it seems like that it's made a difference i i think um i think it was it was hard to miss um, you know, the armbands and, you know, the support that folks that were there were trying to show. Um, but I want to, you know, people, there's been a lot of talk about the course and the course. I mean, it was it was quite hard. I mean, we'll talk about the races. Um, but Ailey Ezerbeet said something interesting. You know, he in his post-race interview, he's like, you know, the most important thing for a world championships is the quality of the organization. And the event runs smoothly. And he was like a plus, you know, um, so. The riders aren't there saying this or that, you know, they're riding the course. I think it was unique and interesting to them. You know, on Friday night, we saw Lars Vanderhaar riding an insane number of practice laps, trying to dial it in. Uh, it clearly paid off. Uh, Bill, you actually have a great story um, about that really kind of the key to Lars Vanderhaar's uh, success. Yeah, it was really neat. So our Devo rider, Andrew Strohmeyer, was out there in the afternoon session on friday dialing in the course and andrew andrew's got got good skills and he can he can descend really well and he was uh testing out his dunes uh and just kind of railing those turns and he he looks back on one of his laps and lars is right there like on his wheel and he's like that's lars vanderhaar on my wheel and but he just like kept kept to his uh 
kept to his pace, kept to his uh, his lines, and like Lars is like copping lines from Andrew as he's going on on down there, and even at the bottom, Strohmeyer was able to to get a little gap on him. And and granted, this is practice, you know, it's not like they're racing against each other, but still, just through what he was doing compared to what Lars was doing on Friday, was able to gap him a little bit. And uh, Lars pulls up to him, and Andrew's like, "So, what do you think about the course?" and and uh, Vanderhaar was like, well, it's it's kind of a – he was like, I thought it was going to be more of like a grass crit, but after following you, um, it's it's pretty tough. <laughs> you know, it's fast. And, and uh, so, yeah, that was a, that was a nice a nice moment, a nice moment for uh, Andrew, I think, just to get the, get the respect of one of the possible Hall of Fame entrants in, uh, from Cyclocross. So, yeah, that was pretty cool. So – as someone who didn't go to the World Cup um, in October and only watched it on TV and then got to go there, you know, for the World Championships, I, I said on Twitter that, like, my opinion of the course changed. And I think it's pretty illuminating to have an opinion. Like, we know how much the, you know, the cameras can change the way courses look. When you see them on TV, you don't get the grasp of how big some things are, how how long that hill is. And so, yeah, I think there there is definitely some some hate on the course still, and I sort of understood where it came from in October, um, but after being on the ground, I completely changed my opinion. I think it's a gr- I, th- I think it's a really good course. It's a great venue. There's still so much more they can do there if you know it's something in the future. There's more events there, and so I, I just I, I think I've have to like it's kind of like a moment where I'm like I got to check myself a bit. For all the times I crap on courses that I haven't been to still, it's like, you know what? Like, you don't know until you're there. And also, like, to what Ellie was saying, like, like if the racing is good, then as long as the course is, like, safe and well-run and the event is smoothly, that that's all that actually matters. And sometimes you don't need all those extra elements, like barriers, um, that there are enough things that like the course is sometimes just it, the course is challenging because of the riders. And like, so it's not super technical, but it's fast. Well, then it becomes more technical because they're going that much more faster. So I just, yeah, I just wanted to put it out there. Like I've changed my opinion. I like that venue and we can all change our opinion. So it's okay to do that. Well, and, and the other thing is that I think that, you know, we saw that super ra- rainy, heavy race in, October. And then the really interesting thing about this one, what we saw was a super fast race that on paper didn't look that technical. But we'll go back, go back to that anecdote I just told you about Lars and on that same day, and it's really if if this race had been under the same conditions that were on Friday, we're looking at a, a potential mess on that on that right. descent that just completely changes this whole race because we watched Tom Pitcock crash at least twice on yeah. different corners in that in on that descent riding it on Friday and he wasn't alone i mean when we first got there and we're standing at the top of the hill and you saw people just riding up the hill everybody's left side of their kit was muddy (laughs) because all of them had gone down. And that was just, you know, we had this beautiful, you know, temperatures and beautiful weather and really sunny that I think kind of dried up that section just from the moisture they'd had in the past 
weeks. You know, it, it was covered in snow two weeks ago. And yeah, so it really, it was like, it wasn't the venue's fault that it got really sunny. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just kind of like, and, and that, so if, if it had been a couple days before, then people would have been like, holy cow, look at, you know, this is like muddy Valkenberg and people are just like sliding down these descents. But, you know, it wasn't the case when, when the race happened. I think that's the first time I've ever, I mean, at an event, <clears throat> seen people sessioning an entire descent. Like people were like taking these corners, just riding back up the course on the course and taking them again because you had to like carry as much speed as you could. Like that was part of the name of the game was finding your finding your limit, testing that edge and being able to to carry your speed. Yeah, down it was two way it was two way traffic there the rock, for a couple hours where people were just uh riding back up or even they'd go like they'd ride the hill and then they just get off the course walk the you know 50 feet back and then do the descent again and just do that little little loop of the course so i got really excited on friday so bill you know you've been to a few worlds like the friday you know course inspection day is kind of chill it's really good for photography because you can get whatever angle you want no fans uh, but, you know, kind of laid back, I guess, kind of chill, you know, coaches sessioning these lines with riders. Um, but this year we had a little bit of a different twist with the team relay. And there were a lot of people there. I was like, wow, if there's this many people here on Friday, like this certainly bodes well for the weekend. So, you know, what did you guys think of the first ever team relay asterisk, asterisk I, f- event? F- um, so it was supposed to be six laps. There were supposed to be six riders. It was supposed to be a six lap event and some of the teams opted out you know most notably the dutch but there were also other federations and for a lot of the federations rightfully so to the point that they had signed up they had had their six riders and by the time they got to the u.s they didn't have enough riders left in the lower categories who made the trip because of covid or whatever else that it was feasible to do the event as originally planned. So they put it down to four riders and then they pleaded with Canada and the U S since those were the two teams with the most riders to come up with B teams just to, to fill out the field. Despite all of that, I thought it was a really fun event and I, I, I thought it was compelling, but by knocking out those other two riders, it was way too short. It was, it was like what, like a, it was under 30 minutes for the, for the whole event. And I think that if you had had the six riders, it could have added some more drama to it. Even though I think that it was still exciting, it just, you know, lengthens that out or it could have just made it a runaway who knows. But, but I think, I think with the, I think six would have been really cool for kind of cheated us a little bit out of what it could have been and also if we had had four or five six more teams out there it would have filled it out it was sort of weird you're having this race and you're you know you're 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 taking pictures of this race and you're like okay the eight riders went by that's the whole field you know it it, it was like a late season anywhere uh, uh amateur cyclocross race yes exactly <laughs> i i think yeah, that was part of the issue was there just wasn't a lot of riders in the course, which makes it kind of a little bit weird. Um, but what, what, yeah, what about this more riders and do it like short track style where you have a shorter course? So you're seeing, you're, I don't get the, 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 the course isn't just so desolate because there's not enough riders. Make it shorter, make them do more laps, make them have more teams. 
Um, but yeah, I think it's a fun thing. You know, I used to promote cyclocross races and I, my, the first race I did was completely like bandit and we always had a relay at the end. And the one thing that made it the most fun was that in order to pass the quote unquote baton, you hit, you had to chug a beer or soda water at the end of your lap that you carried in your skin suit for that first lap. So I, UCI, maybe they can add something like that into the race. I liked it. Yeah, I think it adds a reason for folks to come out on Friday. I mean, I think, you know, typically you're just two training sessions. And we saw even at the second training session, no one was there. We didn't get to see the Belgian team because and the Dutch women because they all did their training on Thursday. So those of us who arrived on Friday need to see it. I like it. It adds some excitement. It adds some oomph. It gives them, you know, Katerina Nash was talking about how she liked being part of a team. I think everyone likes that uh, aspect of it. And I think it's just a good warm up. It's I, I think it got the fans kind of in the mood. You know, it was during those brief moments, the the hill was just, it was a wall of sound, like on that hill, you know, I mean, chanting for every which country, you know, they switched it up uh, to which country they were cheering for. Um, but yeah, I think it was just a good, good warm up. I would be totally cool. You know, I think you don't care as much as a fan if you're not there, but like as someone attending Worlds and kind of seeing the scope of the whole weekend, I think it fits in really nice. And I think it really set the tone uh, just for the level of energy that there was going to be at the venue uh, for the rest of the weekend. Yeah, and it was funny because you had teams like the Belgians had a team and, and it was sort of a no win for them because everybody expects Belgium to win these things or the Dutch who did, especially since the Dutch weren't there. But you know, on, on paper, they didn't, if you look down the list, they, they didn't have the strongest team, but they had Don Soda. And Don was like, I need to put as much time as possible into all these other teams to give my squad any, any chance. And he kind of crushed that first lap. <laughs> but then, you know, but it was, a, it was the steady Italians. So we, we should mention that too. Good for, good for Italy, getting that getting that test event win. yeah michael Barosh was trying to do the same thing but then he he biffed on the, the 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 berm i'm calling it the berm section so he was way he was crushing and then he fell way back and then he had to call come up they used an interesting strategy so it was like most teams did man woman woman man they went man man woman and had ken arena do the last lap so he they just kind of he put his team in a you know a little bit of a, a tough spot because i think he was trying to do the same but he had to just you know, and it was weird because you see Michael Boros just raging through like these U23 <laughs> women. So I might also say that maybe they should set the order. Uh, I mean, I thought it was interesting that there's that strategy, but I think it should be like maybe it should be like a set order because I don't know. It's weird to have like an elite male uh, just raging through like a, you know, like a junior woman. No, that's great. That's why it's the relay. It's completely different. Okay. I'm right. into it. I like it. Fair. Okay. I want to I want to uh, pull back the curtain a little bit uh, about how we were like okay we're not going to spend a lot of time on the junior races because we only have like an hour and we want to like get into the the the, the meat of the uh, of the world championships and the elite races and um, we spent a lot of time now on the relay race. <laughs> Which is hey, perfectly fine. I'm all for it. I just think it's funny. All right. Okay. Test a bit. Uh, Michael, should we do the results? For these junior races, let's start with yeah, the first race of the weekend. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, I had the test event results. So the, what was the first race? That was the junior women. So in third place, we had Lauren Mollengraf. In second place, Leonie Bentfield. And in first place, she's back, Zoe Backstead. 
Yeah, she's back and she's also front. I mean, just <laughs> dominating performance. Zach, where did she where did she first take that? It was within within minutes of that start, right? Yeah, I actually I I feel like on the climb she was already ahead. Yeah, yeah it's interesting that you're asking like those of us who have like we're doing we have like covering the race brain, which is like what literally what is happening. Um, but yeah, it was pretty quick to the to the front. So, I mean, there were some questions, you know, we've seen how COVID can affect people. So it seems like maybe she just tested positive was probably asymptomatic or relatively asymptomatic because uh, she looked great. And yeah, like you said, just completely dominated, got a quick lead. And I mean, that race was was over pretty quick. The was the two Dutch women who finished second and third, like they were fighting for second pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. I didn't. And didn't Benfield say she crashed early? Maybe she said that in your race report, Zach. I don't know, but and and I think it played it played out how we were talking about with her, where she kind of filled that void when Baxted was out of these races because of COVID. And and you're absolutely right, Zach. You know, we didn't know what Zoe was going to look like when she came back, but she's a phenom. I mean, I she she's the type of rider who could go from juniors to elites and be in the mix. So you're saying she's like, uh, I mean, so she might be following in the footsteps of, uh, spoiler alert, Tom Pitcock, who we'll get to uh, soon enough here, because uh, he's a similar one who was another another phenom. So another another British phenom. So they're doing quite well in terms of the uh, the quality of the talent that they're producing. Yeah. So do, anything anything else really need to be said about about this uh about this junior women's race sure let's give a shout to the the holmgren eye uh the holmgren twins uh ava and isabella went seven and eight they're both first year uh juniors so that's that is one interesting thing about this is you know first year juniors you're like oh it's their first world championship but spoiler alert it was the first world championship for all of the juniors because there were no world championships last year so you know, they're definitely two riders to to watch. They're both 17, so they finished third and fourth among the 17-year-olds. So I think that, you know, we never know <laughs> where young riders, where these young women are going to come up. I'm sure there's like 75 like Dutch women in the stable playing soccer and team handball and stuff like that that'll end up riding bikes. But, you know, I think, I think the Holmgrens, you know, they have a shot to be really, really good. And so definitely riders uh, to keep your eye on out of Ontario, Canada. Yeah, and you you bring up a good point with the junior women now in the fold is that we now have two full days of racing for Worlds, which as a spectator, I kind of love. Because I, I remember, you know, in years past, kind of like drinking time. So it's this huge, like, two, three-hour gap between the races. If you're covering the race, it's freaking awesome because you can just, like, upload all of your photos and kind of be done before you even leave the venue. Sweet. But... I like this. You know, we had a little gap between the junior and the U23 races and not that much of a gap between the U23 and the elite races. It's just, it's more, I, I like that, that there's more substance in these days that you have three races and, and a lot more to watch. I think that, you know, for a spectator, you're getting more bang for your buck. And it also just makes it that much more of an exciting day as, as someone in the media, it's, um, I think Michael, you were you were noting how sore you were after day one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you made fun of me. Yeah, what I was saying, I was like, I got to start like trail running. 
Like not just running. I got to start trail running to be get in shape to photograph. It's, it's yeah. It's and I, they, I mean, along those lines too, they did a nice job. So there was a two. It was a two hour block race one, race two, and then an hour and a half. Which maybe they could have switched up. I feel like because the junior races are shorter, like you could have gone the hour and a half. But you know, they also had a press conference after the race that they held the U23s, and so instead of like. Uh, it's something just it just speaks to, you know, I'm sure part of this was UCI, but the thoughtfulness of a good event was that you didn't do the press conference when all of, you know, potentially journalists are needing to cover the other races like they had the riders stick around. And that was just right. a, a small thing that I really appreciated, especially as someone who was doing both photography and uh, journalism, journalism. Yeah, and even even the uh, even the World Cups, you know, you can. I just like the last World Cup I was at in in Holst, you're turning to the left a little bit, sort of eyeing at the podium, uh, you know, at the at the Texaco station, photographing that, and now to your right eye, looking at the starting grid where everybody's already lining up, you know. And this is the World Cup. This isn't just your, you know, just an everyday race. This is the World Cup, and it's still it's just like that super compressed schedule where. As soon as they get off the podium, we're starting the next race. You know, I mean, local hell, our C ones and C twos, they don't even do that because it has they'll they'll start the second race before the podium even begins, and then you're really screwed. Yes. So yeah, having those gaps is nice. So I think our first uh, we had three races that came down to to sprint finishes. Um, so I mean, the first one that we're I guess in order that we're doing the first like. Um, well, I guess the really the was it four sprint finishes? No, no, it was three. Uh, but anyway, junior men's race, it was a banger. Uh, Michael, it's our result sheet. All right, in third place, Nathan Smith. In second place, Aaron Docks. And first place, Jan Kristen. I want to give a shout out to a wide angle podium Instagram follower who. Took, called his pick for the winner to be Nathan Smith, and he was pretty close. They were pretty close. So, so what we're talking about him, did you guys get the bike story? I, I didn't see that until actually just uh, like afterwards, but yeah, t- t- tell it. Uh, so apparently he has been riding bikes, uh, Ribble bikes, all season. Uh, he rode them at the European Championships. He's been riding them all year. Um each frame has to, to be used in a UCI race technically needs to be approved by the UCI. So if you look at like the frame of your bike and you have a major brand, you know, a Trek specialized Cannondale Kona, they're going to have a little stamp that says UCI approved and there's a list uh, every year. And it's actually a way that you can kind of like start to scout out. Like if someone's releasing a new or interesting bike is if you get that list and I've seen people do that. So anyway, they like the day of or the day, day before maybe told them, nope, you can't can't ride these bikes and i guess the story according to helen wyman is that um trek stepped up so i guess sven let him borrow one of his bikes and then they somehow found another trek bike a b bike somewhere in town um so he you know and i guess this goes to the story about uh pitcock and not being feeling comfortable on the pinarello this dude finished third on bikes he had never ridden before (laughs) well and and uh our shooting colleague Bruce Buckley was actually talking to the British coaches asking if they, you know, if this was something that they uh, expected from him. And they were like, 
they were just like, we had no idea he was this good. We didn't expect anything from him. So I, I think he um, he pretty much made a name for himself. I will also, just a, a quick note on the bikes, much like eh, a lot of what the UCI does, this is sort of a year-to-year decision because I guarantee you, and you can think about different bike brands you may know out there that riders you may know have been on that did not get the UCI approval but still were able to race at Worlds in the past. So it's really interesting that this was the year that they were like, we're cracking down on these frames. So how, but this is what I don't understand is he raced on this bike all year mm-hmm. and uh-huh. at Worlds, uh-huh. it becomes yeah, an yeah. issue. I, I mean, are you surprised? What? I know, I guess not. I'm, I'm just, so nothing changed his bike. They just, they just. Haven't we seen that like at the Tour de France where th- these guys have like done t- a 10 time trials throughout the year and then all of a sudden their bike isn't, you know, isn't legal to do a, a time trial to Tour de France. Yeah, I guess so. But like time trial bikes are so like futuristic and they've got all these like crazy angles yeah. that you can't do and like. But, like, but I'm just saying they don't the change they bike. don't change their fit the whole time and then all of a sudden it's an issue. It, you know, it's like you ride the same frame all year long, you ride World Cups all year long and now it's like somebody remembered, "Oh, crap. Don't we have a rule about this where they're supposed to get these frames approved?" And there's examples of this happening all the time, right? Like when all of a sudden, "Oh, we have this rule that you need a certain number of international riders, so we're just going to go ahead and force that now." Never enforced it before. <laughs> Uh, so typical UCI. So guys, I, I think one thing that was interesting to me is kind of like positioning for the sprint. So we had a long sprint, but we also had Stonehenge. We had a, I mean, talk about a lead in. You had a downhill shoot. It was like a time trial start to it. Uh, but we had this race. Aaron Dox led out the sprint and then Jan Christian uh, pipped him at the end. So I just wanted to note that because we're going to have these other sprints i mean the most notable one being in the elite women's race but i think just interesting to see so we have one to zero second wheel from this race yeah and just you know i iconic finish photo for this race with with uh with the triangle of of the swiss flag just arms stretched out with both the guys uh, sprinting behind them such a uh, such an amazing finish to this one all right U23 men, a.k.a. Did we mention Andrew August coming oh, yeah. in fifth? We didn't. We should. Yeah, that's a that's a great ride for yeah. him. Just Well, and shout out to, yeah, to him uh, doing a wide-angle podium tie-in. Uh, he was mentioned on the Grodio podcast when we talked to Kevin Bichard-Hall. He finished second at Vermont Overland. He beat guys such as Lance Haydet, Ted King, and Curtis White and finished behind Ian Boswell. So... I, you know, he's a, he's a kid that's definitely been on my radar ever since then. Like I told Kevin, Kevin Bouchard Hall, I was like, AJ, he's like, dude, I know. <laughs> Don't worry. We're, we're good. We, we know <laughs> he crushed me at Vermont Overland. So, uh, cool to see a, a good ride from him. And he's another, he's 16. So he's another rider that we'll be seeing at the world champs next year as well. All right. So move up women's U23. Let's do the men's. Should we do the yeah, men's let's, first? Just because th- I think we're the you, the women's race was the better of the two. Like it's the one that we want to. That's that that is the one that we want to you know kind of cover in depth. So uh, this was AKA the race where the Belgians tactic worked. The the race where the Belgians got some sort of redemption, and I'll just read out the podium here. They swept it. Thibaut Nice third place, coming back from the collarbone, not collarbone break. 
Emil Verstringe, my pick, second. And number one, I don't know if anybody picked him, Joran. I heard it a bunch of times, but I can't remember. How do you say it, Zach, Bill? Why you're, are you sure? Sh- why are you why, sure why? that's how you say it? I don't know. <laughs> oh no. my god, that would have been great for the open. Why sure? Yes. Uh, so we this was a callback to a previous episode of the Media Pit. Uh, Bill he finished second at Hulahem, and we we're like, who? Who Hulahem? Hulahem is that? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it was, it, he was, that was the, that Holohem was the race that Yorin was the, like, there should have been the announcer, the, the, the announcer at the beginning of the race should saying, if you will look at your programs today, Yorin Washer will be the understudy playing the part of Quentin Hermans. And everybody thought it was Quentin who was like in second place the whole race. Yeah, so, I mean, he had some nice results. He finished third at uh, U23 Belgian Nats, and he actually won Flandering Cross in the U23 race. Uh, so, kind of an interesting quote. We always talk, right, there's always the talk of tactics in in cyclocross, and are there tactics and stuff? And in the, the post-race press conference, uh, Thibaut Nice was actually talking about it. He's like, he's like, there's no tactics in cyclocross. He's like... The only tactic is when your teammate gets in a good position, don't F it up. And I thought that was brilliant. I, I've been waiting mm. for someone because so long we try to, you know, analyze like, well, of course there's tactics and stuff. Um, but I, I think Urin, in my opinion, kind of benefited from the idea that Belgium did not want to lose this race to the Dutch riders. And in a way, like it creates this incentive if you're on this team to be the guy who goes off the front, right? Like, why not send it? Because, like, if you get in that position, they're not going to screw it up for you. Right. Yeah, and it was really interesting because, you know, this is a race where they're truly, you know, we'll talk about the men's elite race where you had the British guy in there who was sort of, like, screwing everything up. But this was truly a Belgian versus Dutch, and you had three strong Dutch riders that you could look at as favorites. And, and you're absolutely right. This was, you know, you said there are no tactics, no team tactics or there are individual tactics, of course, that we'll get into in, into these other races, but Mies Hendricks, Ryan camp, pin Ronhar, those, the three of them could have all been your picks for, for winner of this race. I think I, I can't, I can't, well, I picked Cam Mason, but I, I can't remember who you guys picked. Um, did you say you picked Verstrigen, Michael? I, I did. Hard, yeah. Did you so. pick? Who, I think you went. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's yeah. So they 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 played this one right, and it was really good because it kind of took the pressure off of Belgium for um, the rest of the races. Yeah, I mean, I think that what Men U twenty three is on Saturday, so um, that was you know maybe a, a good start for them, um, but didn't quite pan out. That sort of was the. I guess it's not the crowning moment. I mean, is I don't know. Is is sweeping the U23s a crowning moment versus second? I think sweeping the U23s is what you hang your hat on when everything else really didn't go as well as you expected. It, it's, it's called a consolation prize, Michael. It's definitely not what they came there <laughs> does, for. Wait, does T does does um 
does Belgium get a, like a half a half of a podium spot by uh, giving the uh, Nathan Smith a bike? <laughs> right, right. Well, in the in the same, and we'll you know we'll talk about it when we when we get to the elites. But they also can claim that everything Tom Pitcock learned about uh, racing cyclocross, he learned for the half a year he was on Telenet Fidea. <laughs> there you go. Yep, there it is. <laughs> I know it was a full year. Don't don't write in. <laughs> yeah, and I think conversely, the Dutch just really messed up uh, their tactics. It seems like Camp just didn't. Camp really didn't have a good second half of the season. I think he definitely kind of disappeared a bit. But uh, Hendricks and Camp were really struggling to to coordinate. I mean, you can see when Verstringe went away for second, like Ronhar's on the front. He looks back like to Hendricks being like, dude, what what are we doing here? And then that was the moment that Verstringe is like, I'm out. I'm going for second. Uh, you know, so they were just kind of a mess, uh, throughout the race and it was perfect for, for Tebow and, you know, Cam Mason was, was kind of tailgunning that group, but it allowed Tebow to just, the Belgies were just sitting second wheel. They were like, we literally are just going to sit here. And, and probably part of it though, was making sure that the two Dutch riders didn't get to spots one and two. They were like, no, we're going to be second wheel for like the majority of this race. Uh, so they played it really well. I mean, if you're looking at a way uh, per Thibaut Ness, uh, the tactics is to not F it up uh, for your teammates. They played it perfectly. Okay, let's go to the U- women's U23. The marquee race of the Fayetteville World Championships. Arguably so. I mean, I was going to say that, and I'm glad that you said it too, Bill. I mean, let's get the results. Um, in third place, Fem Van Empel. Second, Sheeran Van Anroy. And in first place, number one in our hearts, Puck Petersa. Hey, let's just pat ourselves on the back that we were able to each pick one of the podium, you know, finishers. I mean, that's that's some that's some <laughs> that's... deep, deep knowledge and prognostication on the part of the media pit. So, you know, a round of applause for us for getting that podium right. This is why people subscribe. I mean, to, we we had the insight. Right? I mean, we made the bold picks. To go with the all-Dutch podium. No one knew! No one knew except us. Man, so this race, like, I, you know, so Puck Peterson, I think, played it kind of how we expected, and it seemed like Sheeran Van Anroy was more than willing to also participate in that. Uh, you know, lap two, maybe. Uh, Peterson just really went for it, started, you know, just attacking on the hill. Uh, but I guess this is kind of foreshadowing, and I'm going to hear your guys' thoughts on this section, but she said, you know, the key to this race, so if you're looking, the key to this this race was, and we'll, we'll see this with Pidcock too, was not the climb itself. It was the last fourth of the climb through the berm section was the key to, to this cyclocross course. You had to, if you could hammer it over the top, you could, you know, people were hurting from the from the hill, so you had the ability to keep going, and then you had to get to the berm first because it was kind of technical, and you really wanted to be first wheel. Uh, and so, Petersa in the post race interview, she's like, "That's what I was doing. Like, I wanted to be there first. Um, so, what are, your, what are your thoughts on that section? I mean, it seemed like it was kind of an interesting little twist uh, in the middle of the lap. Well, here here's one thing that I think that. W- we didn't cover when we were talking about the track and also the track changes, you know, a couple notable track changes that I think that would have made this, if people were complaining that this was just a grass crater too fast or whatever else, a couple of the changes I thought were really good. One was before the first 
flyover leading into the descent, it used to just go straight into that. And they did this little cut where you made this, you know, off the start, it made this little 45 degree turn, went through a little wooded section and then back up and over. So that was a nice little change that, that broke things up early and was a little technical coming around that turn. And then this berm that what we saw in the World Cup was just a run. You know, there there was no, you didn't have to get your line right. You were just getting off your bike and everybody was running that section because it was just was unrideable. It was too heavy. It was too steep. And what they did here was not only was it rideable now, but again, this was a place that in October, you just rode straight into. For this race, they built uh, a um, gator access tunnel <laughs> so they could ride their little quads from the outside of the course to the inside of the course. And it was just this huge metal corrugated tube. And to facilitate that, they had another big elevation change where after pit one, you went up and over this hill. And then the descent of that, which was a pretty a pretty mean grade, got you at speed into this 45-degree turn into the berm. And I think that, that on its own, because you were coming to that speed, really made it technical and you really had to control your speed and your handling and pick your lines and get it clean because you could get stuck. You could make that turn, get to the top of that berm and just be stuck. And we saw a lot of people who were just like stalled out right there, even had to come off or had to like sort of duck walk their bike over the berm and then get to the other side. So I think that was a, a really deceptively technical section. If you're looking for technical sections in that course, that was a really hard one. And the people who were able to do it correctly could pick up a second or two just in that one little section. Yeah. And I think we saw in this race early on, I think Peterson actually was able to get a little of a gap because, you know, if separations occur, I, I don't remember, I think Van Empel might have had to dismount, but then you come out of it and you hammer it out of there and you've got space. Like there is, there is space created. Uh, you know, it was, it was interesting, like, you know, at the end of the race, uh, Femme Van Empel was really upset or whatever, but I, I felt like she was on the back foot throughout. She had an interesting incident where somehow her di2 went into crash mode at the end of lap one and she had to pit but she was still in the group there was a group of about six riders but she got gapped off so she was chasing you know peterson and van anroy were off the front Fem van empel you know catches up again i just i felt like she was on the back foot and what we expected from peterson put her in a strong position because she took control of the race and, you know, got a solid from Van Anroy. I think there's one point where, like, Petersa kind of attacks in the hill. Then Van Anroy goes around and Petersa's like, fine, I'll attack as well. Like, there was that gamemanship. It was like a really, uh, she called it weird. She said it was weird that it was just constant. It was very fluid. Like, there was no one person controlling the front. Like, Van Empel gets to the front. She leads the descent in the last lap. I don't know, it was just very fluid and i think for the reason that it was the marquee race it was the most dynamic race of the weekend by far i think one of the things that i sort of saw was interesting at the start line and i this is the first time me watching femme race um but you know we're, we're all lining up and they're kind of like doing their like practice starts before they actually call them up and i'm just standing there you know trying to stay out of the way but i'm pretty close to femme and i, I noticed that she looks like really flushed like re like her face is super red and I just she didn't look like that sort of calm 
steeliness we see like of her you know when she's on brand's wheel at zolder you know and she'd also we noticed that she had had to cut her what i assume was a long sleeve skin suit because it got pretty warm it was almost what 60 degrees on sunday so i kind of feel like to say say zach that she was on that back foot like she didn't look like she started great she didn't look like she was coming to this race uh, like the top of like fem fem apples a game and i i think that was like you know, maybe it was just being a different location, the weather, you know, the nerves, but, you know, Puck, we know Puck is the one who goes out hard and has tried to stick it. And I just like that she finally stuck the landing. Yeah. So that last lap was, was pretty amazing. I, I think you had them playing tactics at one point. I think they all slowed up until like Puck is like, I want to be the first one to that berm attacks over the top and i mean it ended up being decisive so it was interesting in the the post-race interview um she said that uh she called it a less 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 than ideal line but she played defense so it was coming up on the rise she actually took a different line than she was taking the rest of the race because she didn't want to leave the door open and i i I like it, right? It speaks to kind of the maturity, that bike racing sense that we love to see from these riders. Um, she gets up, her rear wheel kind of slips out, and it goes right into Femme Van Empel's front wheel, and uh, that got a gap. Uh, you know, so then after that, the question is, right, we, we analyze stuff. We're like, do the riders think about this stuff? She's like, my mind went straight to Flamenville. I did not want to do a sprint. I went for it. I love it. I was like, oh my gosh, that is what I was looking for. Like, that's the kind of stuff that we love to do in the media pit to analyze and psychoanalyze. And she's like, I didn't want to do, I didn't want to do a sprint. (laughs) Yet she had to do a sprint. And it was a good sprint. I mean, that was like Sheeran. It it was good. It was good redemption for Puck post Flamenville for sure to get that win and to get it kind of in the same way, but. Sheeran was right there. I mean, that was an inch. When the when when I I, I actually posted on Instagram of uh, of the the difference in 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 tires on there, and it's a uh, yeah. She took that about by about an inch, so it was it was super close. They weren't even seemingly positive at the end. I remember, you know, it seems like she celebrates, but then she goes down the end, and the the racers were all the scrum runs down there. And then, you know, Puck's down the very end and I kind of wander down there and then they're still sitting there and, 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 you know, who's also there? I was like, is that Sonic Kant? Yep, Sonic Kant was there, like, helping Puck out. Someone pulls up the, I think, GC on the phone, like, oh yeah, they called you the winner. And then Puck gives, like, all her handlers a hug again and sort of like, you know, and then he walks by Femme and Femme is just, like, distraught. Like, you know, we saw a lot of lot of emotion this weekend. Um, I obviously, like, all glory goes to the victor, um, and you see a lot of great podium shots. But I, my, my eye definitely was looking at second place all weekend and and third place. And, you know, it's – I don't know. I guess there's a little bit of difference when you are there in person. You get to be that close, and you do see the human side of these races and, and the emotion. And it and it and it's like that also is super attractive to me to, to be around that. And also it, it kind of – I feel like it sets up for – these stories that happen later on, like next year, like, you know, what is Aaron Dock's going to do? And, and, and Femme Van Empel, like, is she going to be so like wanting to get that rainbow Jersey back or just dominate next season? And Sheeran, you know, had a tough season last year and just 
really kind of came on in the year and so close in that sprint. I don't know. Some good stories. Well, that, yeah, I think the sheer part of it, Zach, because it's something that you've talked about in the past, is that it, phenomenal first year. Didn't she win the world championship two years yeah, ago? she punked puck. Yeah, exactly. And then <laughs> it seemed like uh, through injury and whatever else and then concentrating on roads, sort of fell back in cyclocross and wasn't really as much of a factor. And now she's right back up there. Now we got this this triumphant again at, at the front of these races. And I think it's a really... I think she's right back in the mix, and it's it's a good a good look at what we're going to see in the future. The other story that I really like for this, getting back to sprint positioning, is that in again, this is all from the post race press conference. Uh, the three of them watched the elite women's race together yesterday, the day before. So they watched it on Saturday, and they were ta- they said that they were talking about it and kind of analyzing it. So I thought that was interesting that Peterson uh, watched that race with the Sheeran Van Anroy. Brand went out first and she still made the decision that she had to lead out the sprint. And she said she just didn't feel comfortable letting Sheeran come around her. She also said she was dead. <laughs> um, I mean, right. There was a moment where Sheeran kind of pulled around. And so what Sheeran said is that she feels like maybe she was too close and that she should have backed off. Or maybe someone said this, that she kind of was almost too close uh, to Puck in the, the sprint and maybe should have left more separation right. to come around kind of like how Jan Christian did where he just snapped and how Voss did just snapped. So that was, I don't know. I thought that was an interesting story. I love the idea of them watching on Sheeran Van Anroy's laptop, processing it and being in the exact same position 24 right. hours later. Yeah. And, and also, you know, kudos to the, the organization. I'm sure the UCI stepped in here. Like when they had races, like the, the mountain bike races that were on that same course, the finish line for those races was at where the starting grid was for the world championship. And even at that time, you know, last spring when I was there, I was like, if this is the finish line for the world championship, they're letting a lot of real estate go to waste. And thankfully that, that right. wasn't the case that the finish line was all the way at the other end of that tarmac that they laid down, which really, Gave just a super long, super wide uh, finishing stretch that that gave us the opportunity to have all of these these legitimate sprints. It would have made the the section through. I mean, it would have made Stonehenge the place to be. It would have been. I mean, right. you would have seen people fighting for corners, and I guess that would have been interesting. But like, you would have to take the well, VIP it, area, which was at the finish, and move it to Stonehenge because it would like. It was a long sprint, but if if the finish was where the start grid was, it's one of those finish before the finish situations for sure. Keegan Swenson and Chris Blevins like were bodying each other all through that Stonehenge section, knowing that the first one to hit the tarmac was going to win the race in that U.S. Cup race, and that's exactly what happened. So you're absolutely right. It made that section much more dynamic, where here it was much more tactical, even to the point that we'll see in the women's race, where, I mean, you know, Mariana Voss is almost track standing on it before, before going. So like definitely not looking for position in that section, knowing that there was a lot, a lot of real estate to, to decide the, the winner. So go to the women's let's do it. Elite women's race. Sylvia Persico in third, listen to brand in second and Mariana Voss in first. So how many now is this for Voss world championships? Number eight. Do, do we decide that she gets in the Hall of Fame? <laughs> <laughs> I got in trouble because I was saying that Sané was uh, 
Somebody said that I said that Sané would go in before. I was just comparing the two. I think that both of them are first ballot. Right. Yeah. You did say first ballot. I re-listened to the episode on the way back home, and you did say first ballot. I remember that. You said Sané had more cyclocross victories. Right. Um, sort of like Sven Nice. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So Mariana Voss wins her eighth. Uh, and what was the stat you just pulled up? You guys had some good stats here. Yeah, we had some podcast? good stats in this. Well, I, w- I was wondering if it was the biggest gap between world championships. And it turns out that I think we decided that her and Sven actually tied and that they were seven years apart, eight years apart, something like that. But it was the same. I just counted... I'm not good at math, so I just counted the number of championships that were between the two. So eight years, because there were seven seven winners in between the two of them from their last, from their most recent one to the one before. And you know, if you're looking for that, as I said in the green room, that career cherry on the on the top, you come to the United States of America. Sven, you know, still talks about Louisville as one of the most memorable races he won in all of the races that he won because that was, you know, his his final world championship and it came after a long drought. And same for Mariana Voss. You know, I I, I don't think that Mariana necessarily raced in all of those world championships so you know it's not necessarily a drought as as much as she just decides which one she's going to come back to but at the same time she's eight years older than the last time she won and uh you know it was Fayetteville that was able to to do that and hopefully so hopefully she'll remember her U.S. racing uh fondly as well yeah another one is uh another comp that i think is similar too is Albert's Weifel won four and then had a seven year gap before getting his fifth. So I don't know. It was another one. It was not quite as many years, but kind of similar because Voss had all of the wins <laughs> and then she got one more. And uh, I mean, she is officially the goat now. I mean, it break, breaks uh, Eric Devlamic's record who was uh, tied with her with seven. Uh, I mean, so there's just literally no, no comparison uh, to Mariana Voss. And 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 she's and she has said it too. It's like that was important. Getting getting that eighth one was something that was important. I don't know if she said it now, but I know in the past that that was something that that was a was a worthy milestone. And heck yeah, you know, I mean, truly the goat. Nobody, nobody, man or woman, has won more cyclocross world championships than she has. It's amazing. And inch, and one more interesting stat on on Mariana Voss, um, and this will tie into the men's race. Tom Pitcock wins the uh, Cyclocross World Championships last summer. He won a mountain bike gold medal. So I was curious if there's any other athlete who has won a gold medal and then won a World Championships in a different discipline, sort of like same year, same season, or maybe back to back. And the only other athlete that I could find in my research was Mariana Voss who won the gold medal in road racing in 2012 and then won the CX Worlds uh, that winter before. So here, I want to start off because I, two episodes ago, last episode ago, I, I sort of made this, you know, why are they leading Voss around? You know, you, you can't let Voss sit in all race. Um, and, you know, covering the race, you don't see shooting photos we said it before it's hard to get all the action in um and to kind of capture all of it and see it all because you're focusing on other things and you're running around 
Um, watching that race again, and you know, Zach, you were also watching doing your race reports. We all had to come back and watch the race on TV. I was, you know, shocked, not shocked, but I was very surprised to see how much Voss had to attack uh, Brand. She kept attacking Brand, especially in that fifth lap. And that Brand, every time, was able to answer that. So it wasn't like this is just... This, this easy, these aren't easy victories for Voss and that these are, and brand is doing these things. You know, she is trying her best to sort of make, to not come to line with Voss. And I just want to say it was actually, it was kind of amazing to see the amount of times that, that Voss would attack and brand would be able to answer all those times. Um, just, I don't know, I guess to me, like, it just like making me really think of like, once again, how strong, how strong Brand really is and how strong Voss is because she's able to beat Brand. And, you know, it's just, just two of the best going at it. Uh, yeah, no, I'm glad that you did that. I think I, I joked in the green room that for this race, we should have just mic'd up uh, the CX Hairs Airbnb because I, I don't think I've broken down a race more uh, than our crew did there. And I'm sure folks have lots of things to say. I mean, to me, we called it right. We we talked about how Brand would win, and we talked about how Voss would win. And you know, uh, I think that once Voss was there, I, in lap two, we were somewhere, and I just remarked to someone, I was like, Voss is winning this race because uh, you know she was kind of back because she almost crashed. I mean, that was almost like the freak, the freak moment. You know, she almost went OTB in like the second corner of the race. And I thought for me, it was interesting because I couldn't, I couldn't see the TV and I just hear this gasp, the entire venue that's watching on TV. And I was like, what happened? What happened? What's going on? (laughs) No idea uh, what had happened, but I don't know. I just feel like how could brand, how could brand have won that race? Cause she was going to lose the sprint. Even on the, the, the 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 telling moment for me that brand was had was just a passenger in this race and had absolutely no control of it was that final lap when they are coming up the climb and Voss does that little micro attack and then pretty much just stops and looks at her and goes what do you think of that and then lets her like come back to her and at that point I'm like she's just toying with her like this isn't even and then as i mentioned just with the the same thing with the track stand it's just like lucinda i'm going to teach you about racing tactics this is going to be a master's class in this last three four quarters of a of a lap and it was like every time she just she just was like so calm and was just able to put brand in the place that she wanted her to be and then when it came down to it she just you know you can't she still has that kick and there's just nothing you can do about it. But it's, it's almost like, I just wonder, right. We talk about, um, we talked about Puck Peters, uh, remembering the past. I mean, this is, this is roofing all, all over again. Voss sprints off second wheel. I, I don't know if your brand, do you just like, maybe my chances are better at second. Cause it kind of negates that kick. Cause Voss knows how to kick at the right moment and you have no response. So maybe you make her lead out and then her kick, maybe, I don't know. I, you know, it's just, it was interesting to me that she, that there wasn't more playing because their third place was so far back that there wasn't even more playing than the 
two stoppies that they both did uh, to kind of play it out. I don't know. You know, maybe she could have just like, because there was one point where she took a corner really wide when Voss finally went to the front. Voss in Stonehenge pulls out Brand really wide. It was like, all right, please go ahead. <laughs> so maybe toy around. I don't know. Um, but the problem is, is that there's no real book on Mariana. You know, that, that, that's the thing. Like this was a, what she did at the end of this race was pretty traditional sprint tactics. You know, she knew that she could, when she went, she knew that she could carry that to the finish line. No problem. But we've seen other races where she does that a hundred meters before that, or, or even three turns before that. So it's like, that, that's the, that's what Braun is up against is that you can't be like, all right, Mariana's move is this. So I just got to be on her wheel until this happens, but she's got to be ready to go pretty much the whole time. So she's like, okay, well I'll control it and I'll be out front. That way I'm the one, at least I'll know when she goes, you know, and, and be able to respond. But I, I don't know. I don't know what you do. I don't think it's a solvable puzzle. Yeah. I mean, I think that Mariana's snap is, as you said before, her snap is so high that if you're a brand, you're not going to get in front of that snap if you're behind it. And so you just have to, you have to get your speed up and hope that she has to come past you, right? You, she, you're adding a bike length. Um, I will say, though, I, I felt like I read an interview where Voss said that, you know, she wasn't playing with brand and that she was really trying to go all in with those attacks and, and just and couldn't distant drop brand enough. So she sort of was like, as we talked about, you know, Tom and at, at Hogaheida, like, let me back off because I can't hold this. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what she, what Brand could have done. You know, maybe that was part of the Dutch plan. It was with her Alvarado trying to crash her out uh, at turn two. Um, this the intra intra Dutch team. Yeah, Mariana Voss. She said it at one of the World Cup. She's like, I came up with this plan to attack. It didn't work, so I had to come up with another plan. Which I just thought was just like really matter of fact, like really just professional, you know, Mariana Voss. I need a new plan. Uh, and she did it at the World Cup. It must have been, it was probably track. I don't know. Um, but, you know, where she battled against Braun. But it was just funny to, to hear that again. Yep, new plan. Yeah, and, and there's no way Alvarado is trying to crash out Mariana Voss because she was she was a fangirl from when she was a little kid. You see those pictures of her, right? <laughs> amazing. That was an amazing photo. I loved everybody shared it. I almost shared it too because it's just so it's so cute and it's so great and it's just like it shows a like seeing your heroes and like being inspired by them and you become a bike racer, you become world champ. Also, that Mariana Voss is still around <laughs> winning world champs. And to be fair to Lucinda too, she was also like, oh, I guess I get to be part of history. <laughs> Forget was in context, but she's like, oh, and I guess I got to uh, be part of history. So, <laughs> uh, Sylvia Persico, amazing race, great, great result for her getting Italy onto the onto the podium. Also, if you wanted, if you wanted to be, if you wanted to be in the camp of the argument that this was just a straight up grass crit or whatever you wanted to talk to call it. Yara Castle and Manabacker, fifth and sixth, I think maybe little validation for that because you get like these two powerhouses that you know you give them something that they can just uh, unload the watts on that they're going to perform. And I think great, great finishes for, for both of them. Yeah. So one of, I think it's pretty funny that Yara, uh, uh, you know, bulletin favorite podcast favorite is when we were doing prop bets before the season, one of my prop bets that I thought of is, you know, would Yara's fifth place at Ostenda be her best world's result ever? And she proved me wrong. She got another fifth place. So, you know, kudos to, kudos to Yara for, 
having a good race. And I, I mean, I just, I was surprised that we made it, you know, through the end of the race, we made it back to the house. And I think it took like several hours before I was like, Michael, are you going to say something about that backer in sixth place? Like it just, I, I thought for sure I would be hearing about it earlier. Yeah. I mean, if fifth at Euros is a statement, sixth at World is is definitely a big statement. So kudos to backer. Um, shout out to Magali Rochette, seventh place. All of us can look at that and go, that's a great finish. I know that they were expecting more and even said as much. So a little disappointment in that camp. But as far as the whole season goes for Rochette, still breakout season. And that shouldn't, that A, a top 10 at world should never tarnish anything. But I know that their expectations were higher. But that, that result, even though it was the, you know, the, the biggest race of the year, should not take away from what she accomplishes here. All right. Um, should we move on to the men? Uh, Sonicant 10th, still, still great performance uh clara ended up in 11th place right ahead of elizabeth elizabeth brando brando it was like brando and nash that was okay quickly brando and nash racing around together i didn't go back into it but i was thinking about this that they probably battled in world cup mountain bike races like a decade ago against each other so it's it's kind of cool that they were out there just sort of like going head to head in this one as well and 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 doing awesome. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Brando and Nash sounds like a a cop buddy. Sounds like Tango and Cash. Right? It's the next Tango yeah. and Cash. Brando and Nash. It's the it's the sequel to Tango and Cash. All right, clam bitch and memes, get on that. Right. And shout, we'll, we'll give a shout out to Raylan Nuss, top fifteen. I mean, great ride for our Pan American champ. So, just uh, Dis- okay, let's just end on this, Zach. Disappointment for uh, team team hungry in this one. With Blanca oh Bosch. yeah, wow. We didn't even we didn't even mention her. I mean, she just had a, a terrible day and finished what seventeenth. Yeah. She said she got she was feeling sick, so. Maybe a little bit illness, yeah. Yeah, that's which 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 we have to say that we can go. You, you can raise an eyebrow at that, but everybody made it home, which means that everyone passed their PCR test to get back into Europe. Are we? Are we sure the Dutchies still aren't stuck in <laughs> New York City? Square? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's possible. It's possible. Should we talk about this men's race? Yeah. Yeah, what happened there? Yeah, so I mean, so we expected, we got the showdown that we expected in the U23 women. We got the showdown that we expected from the elite women. Uh, We didn't get the showdown that we were really expecting. Uh, You know, talking about Belgian tactics, what did did you guys think of the uh, throw a Belgie, throw all the Belgies? It was like, it was like hack-a-shack. It was throw all the Belgies at Tom Pidcock. <laughs> who who was it that said that they didn't go all in? Was it Sweck? Sweck said he was saying some people didn't go all in, and we deduced that was Tone. But I would say that it was to, to the start of that was Van Tornout because Van Tornout like took off down the start stretch, and it 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 looked perfect. Like he was going, and then Pidcock was the guy who they were all like, 
We're all going to sit here, Tom, your move. And it didn't look like he had to work that hard. Like he did, you know, one effort and cut it in half. And then Van Torn was like, oh, guys, that tactic didn't work. And he just like sat up and then let them all back in there. So, I mean, it wasn't, it just seemed like nobody was fully committed to give up their chances in, in that. I in will that say race. this death tax it, taxes. Lawrence Sweck making excuses for why he sucked at Worlds. I, it's a tradition <laughs> as old as they come. Uh, but the wild card, the French, Bill, you did some research. I mean, Clement Venturini, I think he was kind of a little bit of the fly in the ointment uh, in a way, uh, mixing it up, coming kind of out of nowhere, probably one of the more unexpected rides of the weekend. But he was kind of in the mix. He was taking some pulls uh, for the Belgies when Tone wasn't leading down and Venturnout wasn't doing attacks to nowhere. Uh, Lawrence Sweck did a little bit, but Venturini in the mix. Clement Venturini is the Chris Carter of cyclocross racers. Why would you want a guy like that? All he does is win French national championships. And the guy just shows up every year, takes the tricolor, Puts it, he is Zach Schuster's worst nightmare because he wins the French jersey and then he puts it in his closet, closes the door, and we never get to see it. I mean, 2021, I know COVID year for sure, but he raced Pontichou, the, the French national championship. He, he raced uh, Troya's Cyclocross International. That was it for the whole year. 20, he won the French national championship at Flamanville. Same, that Troya's Cyclocross International. He likes that one. He won that. He won another French race. That was it. 1819, he won the national championship at Besançon, and then he raced one other race. Same with 17 and 18, he raced two Swiss races in Leuven, but that would maybe because he was, you know, mad that he got sixth place at the French national championship. The guy was a cyclocross phenom 10 years ago. Right? I mean, he, as, as a U23, he's getting like fourth at Tabor in 2015. And then, of course, he's a road racer. So he's, he's AG2R. He's out there on a race. I think it's awesome that he comes back and he's still able to perform. I mean, he's another guy that just kind of disappeared, reappeared. And, and you're absolutely right. He was the best Belgian in the race. And he was um, French as far as tactical <laughs> concerns. Well, and he was, uh, he was junior world champion in 2011 beating riders yeah. such as Lauren Swack and Michael Van Turnout. <laughs> so kind of a little interesting, uh, interesting twist there. Um, I mean, so we finally get, uh, you know, what did you guys think about Pidcock? We saw him last week. Uh, you know, we were talking about, is he maybe flying a little too close to the sun doing the big training clamp, you know, trying to race cyclocross worlds two weeks later, uh, didn't win, you know, looked off his game, wasn't looking too great on his, uh, his Pinarello crossista. Um, but, uh, it seems like he played it good, but, uh, I mean, he said this and, I don't know. This this may be to your corner, uh, Bill, is a conspiracy corner. So his bike showed up a day late. Gave him an extra day of rest. Do you think they lost his bikes? They held they they they, <laughs> they hit his helmet. It's the old it's the old uh you know, you can't keep the can't keep the NFL guy off the off the off the gridiron, so you hide his helmet so he can't can't go back in the game when you when you know he's injured. But I will say this if if Clement Venturini is the Chris Carter of cyclocross, then Tom Pitcock is the Ashton Kutcher of 
cyclocross because he punked all of y'all. He was playing you. He knew exactly what he was doing at Hogerheide. He wasn't showing all of his cars. In practice, he was slipping and sliding and crashing. And he knew. He knew he had it. He knew he had it the whole time. Y'all got punked. <laughs> yeah, where's Justin Timberlake? He, yeah, he looked so good on Sunday. And he said as much. He said, like, I attacked him. My legs felt good. And I just, I had it. He just said the, the legs were good. He had diamond in the legs. And I just, I'm thinking post-race already, just after the race, signing jerseys, signing autographs, smiling. His, his, his lady friend was there. You know, we found the sun came out. There were sun flares. It just, it was like a golden, golden time. He seemed to really be basking in, in, in the rainbow stripes. And it, it was, it was fun to see on that, on, on sort of like behind the ropes and witness all of it. Zach was the most suspenseful, suspenseful part of that race. Watching to see if he was going to able to successfully do the Superman at the end. I mean, sure. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Did you know it was coming? Because he, I, well, no, but, but he, he, it looked like he had to bail on that a little earlier than he, he wanted to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was. What did someone say? He looked like he was doing the frog. At well, first. he can't, yeah, and that that was that was kind of funny because I saw a couple uh, a couple a couple of folks when they were going through their um their frames uh you know of of that whole sequence and picked out the frog, the the, the frog instead of the Superman, which is uh kind of kind of doing Tom dirty. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, I gotta say that like you know I was a yellow vest guy, so I had to be behind. The red, I was in the bleachers shooting. So you're shooting down at the finish line. And so when you don't, when you post up, it's fine. You can see it. But the fact that he is, his celebration was horizontal to the pavement meant that my photo looked like crap. It's like, what is he doing? It's like, Tom, you got to you gotta post up for the guys in the yellow vests who have to take photos from the bleachers. Which is... Who don't have the red vests, who don't get the front row seats. Which is hilarious because the... Okay, we're gonna get we're gonna get down into photography weeds here. The best shot of that is if you are as low as you possibly can be, right? You want to be right. as close as you can to the ground, so you're shooting up at him while he's doing that Superman. So it's a you're getting his face. B it's a powerful pose that you're looking. You're not shooting down on. You're shooting up. So there was this one guy in the red vest. I didn't have red or yellow. I had a green vest. I don't even know where that puts me on the hierarchy. But uh, so the, the one guy in front of me and another person in that same position, then that same second row that you were in, Michael, everybody was getting down. All the reds were like, because, you know, kind of talk to each other. And we're like, hey, you're getting down here. And if they say, you know, and then you can stand behind them and you know you're going to get a clean shot. And he was like, no, I'm standing. We're like, all right, buddy. You know, and he was like very defiant. Like three or four people asked him the same question. He was sort of getting mad. No, I'm going to stand for this shot. I'm like, all right, whatever, dude. And I I just felt much better knowing that that guy who was like, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do and screw you guys, got a bad shot. So I love it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man, that is some some weedsy uh, photography talk. 
I mean, I will say, though, I mean, folks in the media pit were so friendly. I mean, it was just like, hey, am I in your shot? No, you're good. Or like, hey, you know, I just the communication and the camaraderie and just everyone was like super respectful. And there were a lot of media folks there. There were a lot of photographers there. So it's just kind of funny that that had to be like the fly in the ointment at the literal end of the race. And it bit him in the butt. I love it. Yeah. The, the other thing I will say that they did a really nice job, and it, it's just circumstance that you can go to world championships and sometimes if you don't have that red vest, which gives you the, the front row coverage, you're screwed. You know, the, 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 the other vests are put in such a position that you can't even get a shot. That's how, uh, that's how Dubendorf was, and that's, that was why, you know, I mean, I like my shot, but that's why I shot from behind for – uh, the the race is there because it wasn't even worth it. You're just not even getting a look. So I, I do so experience Fayetteville and the whole organization when they set this up and just having that space. I mean, it's just nice when you have a venue where you just have like all of that space is that I think we were all in a pretty good position even if we weren't in the premier position on that finish right, line. Right, right. No, it was great. I mean, having like, I'm, I'm thinking of um, Jingle Cross trying to shoot that World Cup finish if you don't have a red vest you got it's like terrible it's the worst thing ever like yeah i like so too awesome. too i mean afterwards too they were really pretty lax i mean they rushed the leaders out but there was all this room it was almost like jingle cross there was all this room at the end and i just felt like it i know it like bone so it seems like that was unlocked and they were just shuffling people through the mix zone and it was just like kind of more relaxed and you got to see you know teammates congratulate congratulate each other and stuff and so i really liked that it maybe probably because it's america it had a chiller vibe i just remember bowen being comically like stringent and it's just like take a chill pill y'all <laughs> It was yeah, Bonsa was the absolute worst that I have seen where you weren't even allowed to take a photo of them at the end. But it it was kind of funny. Did you, they didn't do it during the women's race, the men's race? It, it was like it was like Pitcock was the president and they and they thought they heard shots. I mean, there were like did you see there were like two UCI officials grabbed him side by side and they were like rushing him out into the into the mix of a zone away from away from us for surly since we're on photography corner i will share literally the only like bad moment of the weekend and bill you're gonna laugh at this and you're gonna roll your eyes but we're hanging out and you know we've got a uh, pickaxe bike and we haven't seen it much and so they set it against a white background and they set so typically for a bike photo you want the cranks parallel to the ground like literally everyone knows this they put it perpendicular and we're like hey you know can you do as a solid? Can you just can you spin that around and put it parallel to the ground? So one guy from British Cycling puts it. He's like, "Oh, it's resting on there. Like can't can't move it." The other guy comes over. He spins it around 180 degrees, and I was like, "Can can you can you put it parallel?" He's like, "Well, aren't you demanding?" I'm like, "We're all doing jobs here. Like this is gonna look like shit. Like that was like my only negative. Like it was so wild. I was just like." I don't know. It just it was such a weekend where everyone was so accommodating and so friendly. Like leave it to British Cycling to just like be a beyond them to put a crank parallel to the ground. Yeah. So I got a I got a I got a trivia. Kind of a kind of a trivia. So Tom Pidcock wins the worlds, elite worlds. He's also won U twenty three worlds, and he's won junior worlds. So he's got all the rainbows. He's hit for the rainbow cycle. Um, so I was curious who else has done that. Um, and I will say that for the women, obviously they didn't add U23s until what, 15, 16, and they just added junior 
And I looked at Mariana Voss's first win and she was already, she was 19. So we're not going to have, we'll just, I'll just say there's, I don't have stats on women. I don't think, I don't think any woman has done this. Um, so guys there, I counted, I kind of went back till 2000. Um, there are three other men who have won all three world championships. Can you guys name them? Yes, Vanderpool won. That's a gimme. Yep. Did Wout never have U23? Yeah. Never U23. That was his missing one, right? Because he was a junior. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So who are... Well, yeah, like you said, a lot of people won junior world championships. It's it's that, uh, like, Niels. can you get Niels? the elite as well? That was going to be my guess, Niels. Niels is correct. And there's one more. Probably a Belgi. Bart, Bart Wellens. Nope. Sven Ness. Nope. Okay, I didn't think it was him. Who else has won? Throwing man, who else there. are guys who have won him in there? I'll give you a hint. Uh, Vervecken. Nope. Okay, what's our hint? He went to the road. Skibar. <laughs> nope. Boom. Lars Boom. Yes. Lars Boom. Yeah. So there you go. So Tom Pitcock joins an elite cadre I like of it. cyclocross stars. Interestingly, only, interestingly, no Belgian. No, Niels Albert, only Belgian. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So it'll be, so let's see. Have any of those guys won road world championships? No. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Tom Pitcock is maybe going to do the thing that Vanderpool was supposed to do, uh, and Wout before them. Who knows? I like that trivia. I like it. The rainbow, uh, triple crown. Uh, is that what we called it? Do we call it the triple crown? I, I like it. The rainbow triple crown, the rainbow cycle. I okay. The Hitting cycle. the cycle. Hitting for the cycle. Okay. Yeah. It's I the love cycle. it. Yeah. I think though, I, I, I think triple crown, I think the cycle should be more like, what what can the cycle be? Euros, Worlds, National Championship in the same year. Isn't that more? Because it's it's different. It's like you know, single, double, triple, home run. Well, tri- I always think triple crown would be it. That's like events in one year. So that might even be the triple crown. Speaking yeah. of jerseys not being unified and coming just short of the triple crown, I mean, we we got to talk about our guy Lars. I mean, I think that he delivered the best that he could on this day. Uh, you know, fan favorite. I think that Lars it was really interesting. I mean, it was cool to see how many fans you know Lars Vanderhaar had uh, at this race, and I think everyone was kind of kind of willing him on. So, and he played it perfectly. He just kind of like sat in. Uh, on that Belgi train and he attacked when he needed to and kind of broke it apart and ended up with Ailey Ezerbeet, who, you know, only had third on the day. Um, but kind of an interesting little discussion that happened in the post-race press conference. I personally, uh, at the time, was rolling my eyes because it in no way pertained to the race reports that I had to write. But, you know, they were talking, one of the journalists was like, Ailey, you got your ass kicked on a fast course. Are you going to race more road? And he's like, no, I'm just going to keep doing what I do. And then Lars was like, Lars chimes in. He's like, you know, you keep asking us if we're going to do road. You look at 
Pitcock, you look at Wout, you look at Machu, you know, you look at Stibar back in the, like, when are you going to ask the road racers when they're going to race cyclocross? And everyone like started clapping. It was pretty funny. <laughs> that was great. I'm so glad you brought that up, uh, Zach, because I, you, I feel like you really got a lot of like Lars's personality in that press conference. He pushed back a little bit and he was not afraid to sort of like share his opinions. And he was also one of those and, guys who was forced when he was on Rabobank to race some of the classics and I don't I don't think he wanted to because he wanted to be a cyclocross racer yeah I think yeah. he did I think he did a uh, Paris-Roubaix yeah so I mean you know so it's it's one thing you know I mean Sylvia Persico is another one that we're seeing she's a road racer but she's adding cross to her program spoiler alert seems to be going pretty well Zoe Backstead you know I mean she's younger we see them but you know you're seeing some of these riders who who do road I, I think uh, Jan Christian the Swiss guy I'm pretty sure uh, I heard Jeremy Powers getting his intel after the race from the Swiss guys. He's like, give me one minute. Tell me about this guy. They're like, yeah, road racer. Uh, he's doing a cross. <laughs> so like, you know, I, I think that, you know, you're seeing guy, men and women benefit from doing cross. And I love, and that's why everyone loves Lars, right? He's very upfront and, um, you know, very blunt. And I, I think it's endearing to people. So and it was uh, it was a pretty cool moment in retrospect. Like everyone in the room was like, yeah, <laughs> you go Lars. All right. Anything else we need to cover? Been going, going at this a while. Yeah, it's a long show. I, I, I just wanted to point out one thing, and this is sort of, I meant to bring this up during the top of the show when we're talking about worlds. I just want to point out this year, so this this cyclocross season, and we're not even over yet, but this cyclocross season, we had three World Cups in the United States. We also had a eight-race series that was broadcast on GCN in the United States. We had Pan Ams in Texas. We had, we had nationals like the other year. It was a great nationals. And then we had the World Championships. All of that in one season in the States. And I, I, I don't, I'm just kind of reflecting on like, that's a lot of cyclocross, a lot of great cyclocross stuff that happened here in this year. And I don't know, like, am I, is this the peak of another wave? Like, or, or what do we, like, I just want everybody to like recognize it, what happened, appreciate it, and just hope that it continues. I don't know. I don't, I guess I don't know what I'm, <laughs> how to end no, it. No, I think that's a that's a legitimate question and that was the whole thing and that we've talked about in the past and I think that I, I personally I don't think I'm a good person to 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 see if that's <laughs> true since that Louisville World Championship was such a huge moment for me and I think people who were there and were into cyclocross at the time for what followed and it was it was kind of at the crest of the wave of cyclocross and i came into this event thinking that i don't know if that can happen again but but you're right michael and you you heard it there and you heard it from athletes and you heard it from spectators and you heard it from these kids who are running around and 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 sort of just taking all of this in that that this this could possibly have that same effect. I hope it does. I mean, I absolutely 100% hope it does. I mean, we need we need we need a little bit of a rebound in in the in the sport. So, if this is something that is the impetus, I'm 100% behind it. But I just have a, a lot of positive baggage to 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 build on to that I don't know that 
I'm completely sold on that yet, but I'm not discounting. And maybe that'd be a good discussion. I mean, we have like my, you know, my personal favorite uh, time of the cyclocross season coming up, the uh, post world's races. So I don't know, maybe we'll have some time to, to talk on that. I think it'd be good to reflect on this and, you know, think about how we can build this going forward. Cause I, I am also skeptical that this will lead to, you know, more people being at, at races and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, maybe that's a conversation for another time. Yeah. And that's not to say that this wasn't great racing and I'm, I'm glad that we were able to have another worlds in the U S you know, despite everything else going on just as a, a focused look into that weekend of racing. It was, it was really cool. And, uh, yeah, we still got more racing, so I guess we'll... Three series races. All right. Lots of racing still to come. Uh, we'll be back here talking about that. So we'll see you next time. And uh, hang in there, kid. Dear cycling friends, we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast, and we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours the Grodio Podcast.